going to invite you this morning uh, to take a Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians. The epistle text for this morning comes from Ephesians, the first chapter, uh, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. If you're with us and you're able this morning, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the Lord's word. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his goodwill and plan and to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through the son whom he loves. We have been ransomed through his son's blood and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his goodwill and the plan that he intended to accomplish through his son. This is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things on earth. We have also received an inheritance in Christ. We were destined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. We are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were the first to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on your inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people resulting in the honor of God's glory. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Um, If you've been with us in the past, you know that this is the Sunday where we usually do um, a Wesley Covenant service. Um, John Wesley, um, in the new year, would oftentimes lead his folks through a kind of covenant service. And a number of years ago, I, I took the old service and kind of updated the language, and I, I think for about 22 years or so, have been leading folks through that covenant service. We've decided to put a pause on it this year for a couple of reasons. One is um, every year we do it, there are two things that we have a conversation about as a staff. One is after we go through it, we realize, man, that is such a serious service. There should be a warning on it. We should put a warning label on that service, and we should tell people, come if you only mean it, right? Come if you mean it. And, and it's also very liturgical, and, and there are a few of you who, who love that, and there are a few of you who, who, who don't love that quite as much. And so uh, every year as a staff, we realize, oh, on a, on a generally low Sunday, we, we have given the gift of making it a lower Sunday. Um, and so this year we thought, well, we'll do it in the middle of the week, like we'll do it on New Year's Eve and those kinds of things. But the reality was we just couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, we couldn't figure out how to do all the booklets and all of the covenants and do that well online and, and all that kind of stuff. And, but if I'm honest, there's also a kind of a other reason why it feels okay to take a break this year. Um, there's a lot of promises that we make in that covenant service. And I, I wasn't sure we had the energy to make all those promises this year. Um, I, I got an email from uh, one of my former students uh, this week. Uh, she and her husband pastor a church in Arkansas, co-pastor a church in Arkansas. And she was asking uh, me and another friend um, if we were going to do what she called the Wesley COVID covenant service uh, and how, how we were going to do it. And so I teasingly wrote her back. 
Uh, we aren't doing it, exclamation point. We've received a lot of covenant customer complaints this year. And so we want to see how 2021 goes before we decide on re-upping on our side of the covenant. Um, to which she responded with a laughing emoji with the tears. Um, probably like many of you, uh, I'm a little bit of a mess going into this new year. It feels good to put 2020 behind us, but 2021 um, well, in our house was off to an odd start with a little fire in the garage, um, but, but also kind of, it feels new, but it feels not quite new yet. Um, I'm this weird blend of kind of energized and exhausted, uh, hopeful and still a little discouraged, excited about new days to come while simultaneously feeling pretty heavy today, especially with grief and sadness. Um, revved up for some leadership challenges and ready to take those on some days and then some days ready to quit. Um, <laughs> and so when I get overwhelmed, uh, Debbie knows the best thing she can do is give me a little bit of perspective. Um, in some films, uh, filmmakers will do this thing where they'll pull the camera back at times to give us perspective that this story that we find ourselves enmeshed in, if we pull it back, we realize it's part of a kind of broader network of stories. And if we pull the camera even further back, and some filmmakers will take it all the way out into space. Um, sometimes it's good for us to recognize that what we are experiencing is actually part of a broader framework and narrative, a, a bigger story that we find ourselves in. Just a little commercial break um, as we enter into this new season. And as part of the challenges to kind of figure out, it, it would be nice if uh, the challenges with COVID and the coming of vaccines, it would be nice if we just had a clean break and we knew on March 1st we could start and do things normal again, but it's not really working that way, right? Um, so beginning on this Wednesday night for the next six weeks, uh, we're going to do midweek still online. Uh, and we've kind of had a, a dream for a little while of, of starting um, Ryan came up with a great, uh, a great title, New Creation Cultivation, um, and have some, some ways for us to kind of lean into some subjects. And so we're going to start uh, with a six-week class online, um, kind of on theology. And I know that theology is kind of an intimidating word. Can I just tell you, theology are just two Greek words put together that mean words about God, um, God talk. And so in these next six weeks, we're going to just kind of start at the beginning and talk about in, in these six weeks, what is the overarching story and kind of call it a, a start here, um, how our story fits into God's story. Um, and, and so we'd love for you uh, to join us in that conversation. I, I think it's going to be a fun six weeks as we continue to kind of move forward. But I think this text from Ephesians is perfect for us today because in it, we're not really being asked to do a whole lot. Uh, we are being reminded of what God has done for us and what God is doing for us. It doesn't want us to work harder. It doesn't want us to believe more. It doesn't even want us <laughs> to re-up our side of the covenant necessarily. It just wants to remind us, and I need this today, it just wants to remind us of who we are in Christ and what we mean to God. If you have your Bible still open, it's, you don't have to be a great biblical scholar to figure this text out. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Bless the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. If a word shows up three times in the same sentence, it's probably about that, about blessing. This text just simply wants to bless us today. Ephesians is kind of a unique book. Um, if you have a common English Bible, I don't know if it, how many translations do this, but but if you have a common English Bible, if you look down in the footnote of the very first page of Ephesians, you get this note. The location of Ephesus was added in some later manuscripts, probably to make the opening of this letter similar to the others in the collection of Paul's letters. The book of Ephesians is kind of odd and debated among New Testament scholars for a number of reasons, and that is because the oldest manuscripts actually don't have an address on it, um, as the footnote recognizes the, the address of Ephesus was kind of added later. And the book itself is kind of odd in the sense that it's different. If it is a letter from Paul, it is very different than Paul's other letters in this way. When you read Paul's other letters addressed to specific settings and circumstances, Paul is usually addressing some problem or something going on in that church. It's very practical. It's wonderful theology, but addressed to very practical things. Ephesians is not like that. Again, Ephesians is like pulling the camera back and saying, here is the broad scope of theology. And so there are some scholars who even argue maybe it's not even a Pauline letter, that it was actually written by somebody else. Those who argue that it, it belongs with Paul's letters argue it this way. It may be really different than Paul's letters, but its theology is exactly what Paul argues in all the other letters. And so in some ways, Ephesians is a wonderful place to start because it gives us this broad sweep of the story of what God is doing in the world and, and how that is not only initiated and carried by the Father, but it is lived in and it is fulfilled in the Son. And then even in this text, it is now initiated in our life by the Spirit. So it's fascinating how in Ephesians, it's pulling together not only the whole story, but even the whole Trinity and the way Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together in the fulfillment of the story. But how does it bless us? This morning I want to talk about how this story kind of changes where we are and how we think about our life in three ways. Uh, I, I love reading history. Uh, and so this Christmas break, uh, one of the history books that I started, I, I'm, not, I'm only about... 170 or 80 pages into it. But I decided, uh, because we had watched uh, Hamilton the Musical a few times on Disney Channel, um, I decided to read Chernov's uh, biography of Alexander Hamilton. It's been really kind of fun to read. Um, and, and if you're familiar with the musical, it's kind of fun because I'm singing through the whole, <laughs> through the whole biography. I'm about, as I'm about 20 pages in, I, I'm reading it to uh, not throwing away my shot, not throwing away my shot. Anyway, yeah, you're not excited about that. But, uh, but it's been really fascinating. And, and Hamilton is a story worthy of a musical, and his life is worthy of a musical. If you know a little bit of his story, you know that he, um, he was born in kind of questionable circumstances in the islands uh, off the coast of Florida, and that he lost his parents, and he kind of found his way eventually to New York and had a little bit of money and a lot of talent, and he used that to try to make his way and, and finally kind of got connected to George Washington and the revolution was going on and he became this kind of important figure in the midst of the founding of the nation. But one of the fascinating things as you read it, and, and it's been fascinating for me to think about, 
is in this transition of the founding of America, there's also a transition happening for Hamilton in the transitions of kinds of cultures. Hamilton deeply wanted America to be what the book calls a merit-based society. And there, it's interesting how that's kind of woven into our ideology as a nation, that, that you can make it, if you have enough hard work and gusto and giftedness, you can make it in this world. It doesn't matter where you came from, even if you came from questionable parents somewhere in the Caribbean, right? That you can make your way in the world. But at the same time, Hamilton kept finding that all these European settlers brought with them what for most of human history has been the dominant way of thinking about life, and that is that what matters is family, clan, and ethnic connection. And so that you are who you are because you have a family lineage, a family name, a family history. And so Hamilton found as much as he was gifted and began to rise in society, it wasn't until he married Elizabeth Schuyler and married into a rich, wealthy, connected New York family that those barriers to his climbing were removed. Are, are you with me this morning? And the reason I, I want to talk about that or mention that is because I think as we read a text like Ephesians chapter 1, there are this morning three words that show up in what Paul wants to celebrate about what God has done to us, but we in kind of a merit-based society, I mean, I, I think we think that mostly, although we recognize there's a lot of kind of privilege and status and a lot of family and financial connectedness still in our lives. But Paul is writing in a culture that is steeped in a way of connectedness that has to do with clan and lineage. And if we can put ourselves back in that imagination, then there are three words that pop out of this chapter to us that talk about here are the ways God has blessed us in Christ. Are, are, are you with me? And here they are. Verses 3 through 6 all have to do with this one thing that shows up in verse 5. If you have your, your text still open, I want you to circle a word. This is verse 5. God destined us to be his, and here's the word you need to circle, adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. He destined us to be his adopted children. Now, as we think about these three words, most scholars think that this, the way that Paul thinks about the gospel is really deeply rooted in the Exodus story, and I know three of you just rolled your eyes. This was a fun week. Uh, Noah and his wife, Carrie, uh, moved to Nampa this week, and so Sophie and I went down and helped them kind of move this week. And last night, my smart aleck son, who was staying with us at the time, said to me, hey, Dad, what's the sermon about tomorrow, and how are you going to weave Exodus into it? Um, smart aleck. Um, he's getting his own apartment. Um, but part of the Exodus story is Israel, as a people, had lost all of their connectedness in the time of famine. They had nobody who called them their own. And because they were like orphaned children, with no connectedness familially, no, no God that was claimed as their own, nobody who was taking responsibility for them, they were vulnerable and without protection and care in the world. And so the Exodus story is largely about how God hears their cry and takes them as his people, remembering his covenants to Abraham, but adopts them, and now they are Yahweh's children. He has taken them as his own. 
and taking responsibility. And so Paul does this amazing thing. He says the way that our people, that we were adopted by God, that story is the very heart of what God has loved, loves to do. In fact, Paul says it's because of God's love that he has decided to take us all on and adopt us in. And you can kind of see Paul envisioning these congregations that he has started. This ragtag bunch of Jews and Gentiles. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul will write to that church and say, very few of you had noble birth. Like, you don't have connections. You don't have people. You didn't have a history or a lineage to claim as your own. But here's what you have. God has adopted you as his own. And you are blessed because the love of God reached out to you and said, you are my child. And you are welcomed in. The next few verses have to do with this, verse 7. We have been, now circle this word, we have been ransomed. Ransomed through his son's blood. And we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace. Out of God's great love, he adopted us as his, as his children, but out of his steadfast love and mercy, his grace, he ransomed us. Again, back to the Exodus story. Here are these people who have no people, who have no God that has claimed them as their own. So God adopts them, makes them his children. But here's the problem when you're orphaned in the ancient world. You have no family that you belong to to work within because families worked together. You have no clan, no people. And so you not only have no protection, but you have no way of making a future. And so the only way to survive is to give oneself up in bondage, in slavery, in servant, servitude to people who now have you. And, and now... Your future is caught up in their future. And so Pharaoh can demand whatever he wants from these poor Israelites because they have no future because they are owned by him. And Paul says, just as in those amazing plagues that delivered Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh, so too the blood of Christ has redeemed us from the bondage of sin and death. And again, you can imagine Paul looking at that ragtag congregation saying, you are now children of God. That is how God has blessed us. But the blessing is not just that we are his children, but we have been set free from all of those things that kept us from being able to become what we were created to be. And you can hear echoes of Paul's other letters saying, so don't go back to sin if you've been delivered from it. Who does that? Why, if you've been set free from slavery, would you ever want to go be a slave again? But you have been set free, and God has done this by his grace. There was no way for you to buy your way out of that bondage, and so God did it for us in the Son. And we have this blessing of freedom and liberation from sin. The third thing I want you to circle shows up in both, both verses 11 and 14. Verse 11, we, as, we have also received, and here's the word, an inheritance in Christ. 
We were destined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. Here's verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance. Again, Paul pictures this ragtag bunch of adopted children who have been delivered and set free, have been ransomed from the bondage of sin. But you see, the problem when you are an orphan in the ancient world whose only way of survival is to give oneself over to bondage. You have no future because you have no inheritance. You can only make it for today with no hope that things will change tomorrow. It's just simply existence. But if you are adopted and you've been delivered from bondage, you get all the privileges of what it means to now be family. Which means there's an inheritance. Woo! Don't spend too much of it, Mom. Right? There's an inheritance. When you're part of the family, there's an inheritance. And here is the, the way that Paul thinks about it in the Exodus story. They have been adopted. They've been delivered from bondage. And now... The land is their inheritance. They move towards that land that was promised to Abraham because that is their inheritance. And when they move into the land, now they will have security and peace and they will have a future with the potential of prosperity because the land will be theirs. And Paul takes that narrative and says, in the same way that God adopted them, God has now adopted us. And in the same way he delivered them from bondage, he has delivered us from the bondage of sin. And now the inheritance that we have is not some piece of land somewhere. The inheritance we have is a new creation. In fact, Paul will say in other places, the inheritance we have now is the world. Who wants some land in the desert when you can have the world? And it's the whole creation, but not just the whole creation in the broken mess that it's in, but a whole creation that is made new and redeemed. Where we're at peace with God and with each other. And the down payment, the reason you know that this inheritance is coming is because he made a down payment. He placed the spirit within us, making us new. Establishing in us a foretaste of the new creation. And so what, what do we do with all these blessings? For we are adopted and ransomed and we now have an inheritance in Christ Paul says, and this is, this is all you did. You believed. You believed. That's what verse 13 says. You too heard the good word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the promise of Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. Now, most of you have been with me long enough to know belief is not something that happens in our head only. What Paul sees is a ragtag bunch of folks who've been adopted, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, formerly slave but now free, who have been ransomed and who now have an inheritance of a new creation and have the spirit that is building that new creation and, 
And so our response of belief is this, to live as though that is true and so care for each other as though we are now a family of brothers and sisters. To live in the freedom from sin and not to go back and be a slave again to sin. And to believe in such a way that we allow the Holy Spirit to form in us a foretaste of the new creation. And when we live that, when that becomes the story that we find ourselves in, then we bless God, and we are blessed by God, and we become a blessing to others. Sometime this week, I would love for you to keep going in Ephesians 1, in verses 15 through 23, Paul breaks into a prayer. If all of this is true, if we are adopted as God's children, if we are set free and ransomed from our bondage to sin, and if we have an inheritance, a new creation that is come and is coming. If that is true, then Paul has this amazing prayer. It causes him to break into worship and break into prayer, giving thanks for this ragtag bunch that have become brothers and sisters and this group that has been set free from sin and this group that is becoming a foretaste of the new creation by the Spirit. And Paul essentially prays four things. And those four things are right in line with what we're about to participate in together. The four things that Paul prays are essentially the practices that we participate as we gather around the table. For Paul's prayer is that you and I, that we would know that story. And not, again, not know it in our head, not be able to write it on a board or be able to outline it with bullet points. That would be fine. But Paul wants us to know, know the story. Deep in our bones, know the story. So that when we are tempted to believe that we do not matter, we know in our bones that we are a child of God. That when we are tempted to give ourselves back over to habits and destructive practices of sin, that we know in our bones we have been set free. We do not have to be slaves of sin. And when circumstances push us to believe, there is no future for us. That we will know in our bones that we have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. A new creation that is come and is coming, and the Spirit is the down payment of that new creation. And the reason why I say that that prayer is so consistent with what we're doing is because I love that when we gather around the table, we eat stuff. Because it's not enough just to look at it and know it. We want it to sink down deep into the core of who we are. And then secondly, Paul prays, uh, it's one of my favorite things Paul prays for his people, that they would have discernment. Discernment that that story would be so deep down in their bones that they would now 
with wisdom and discernment, know how to move forward in life. Oh, thanks be to God. I don't want to make you feel too insecure, but I have no idea what to do next. Future seems so cloudy. Paul seems to pray that if we would get the story deep down in our bones, then we don't have to know too many days far out in advance. That God would give us the ability to discern what is good and what is best as we move forward. I love that because as we get around this table and as we we allow this story to sink down deep into us, we have this vision that now it is out of that that we can see and live. We can move and have our being. In this prayer, Paul prays that the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, think about that, the same power, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that 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 Spirit would energize our life and our living. The story would sink so deep into us and that we would have discernment moving forward. But when when we were tempted to give up, that it would be the same spirit that brought Christ back from the dead that would energize us for life. Again, I love that as we eat this today, it sinks down into us. It becomes the broken body and shed blood through which we see and view the world, but it also, we eat it with this idea that it becomes the energy for our life, the glory of God. And finally, Paul prays that that would sink down deep, that we would discern the world, that it would energize our life. But he also prays that it would make us the body of Christ. This week, in the, I was looking at the message, um, Eugene Peterson's translation of this text, and, and I love the way that Peterson translates a couple of these lines. He says this, He, meaning Jesus, he is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. And here's the line I love. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. For the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. And so this morning, as we gather around this table, we enact the prayer that Paul prays for us. That the story that we are God's children, that we have been set free from sin, and that we have an inheritance of a new creation, that that would sink deep into our bones, that it would allow us to discern how to live, that it would give us the energy to move forward. And that today... It would make us what we eat. It would make us the body of Christ. God, help us today. As we gather around this table, if there is a day we needed to be blessed, it is today. Bless us. Um, Remind us of the story that you have given to us. Thank you that you have made us out of your love of your children. 
We praise you that out of your grace you have set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And for the sake of your glory, you have started and you will bring about an inheritance, a new creation. And so give us the strength to believe. We confess today, um, much like the disciples cry, I believe, help my unbelief. Help us by faith to trust today. And as we gather around this table, may that story sink deep into our bones. May may it help us discern what is best. May it give us energy to move into the future that is so uncertain. And may your spirit make us the body of Christ today, even though we are scattered. Bind us together in you and make us the body of Christ. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.